Hi, everybody, and welcome to the As You Are podcast. Uh, my name is Leslie Vandergans. I'm the founder of Enso Coaching and Consulting, and I am joined today with Libby Detling and Kathleen Fletcher, two of our amazing coaches, and the amazing Jay Papazan. Jay is a best-selling author, a Wall Street Journal best-selling author. Uh, he is the founder of co-founder of Productive and Keller Inc., and he's also the vice president of strategic content at Keller Williams Realty International. <laughs> Welcome, Jay. Well, just flows off the what top. A title. <laughs> yeah. Did I get everything? Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> husband to Wendy. Oh, yes. yes, we cannot forget that. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so Jay, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you spend your day. Okay, so I guess the right now I get to live between two worlds, right? Mm -hmm. I, I have my job here. I have my home responsibilities, I guess three. Mm -hmm. And I um, stepped in as CEO of a company called Productive, which is all around the one thing. So just trying to balance that out and hopefully not drive my EA completely insane, trying to, to keep all of those things in motion at the same time. That's amazing. But my number one, like, you know what a 411 is? Like, I have my gold sheet every week. And for, gosh, before 2013, one of the things I track is, did I get writing days in this week? Mm -hmm. And I have a certain goal for them every year. Um, number of books read, number of days where I get a real writing session in. Can't do it every day with all the other jobs, but I try not to ever go more than a few without a big writing session because those are the two things that drive all of my success. Wow. The inputs, what am I consuming? And then am I able to get things out and publish them to the world? That's amazing. Okay. So to, can you tell us a little bit about productive and what that looks like in context of the one thing? So it's a, uh, I founded it, I guess, with a fellow named Jeff Woods about seven years ago. Um, he's since moved on to another opportunity, but it started with the podcast and some training online. And now we have uh, a coaching business like your own. And we also have corporate training and a membership. So it's basically people read the book, now 3 million and running around oh, the wow. world. And they're like, okay, this is not complicated, but it's not easy. I want help living my one thing. Yeah. And then we try to serve them as coaches and trainers. Yeah. Okay. Can I do a quick step back? Because I've heard a bit about the one thing, but I imagine there might be some people who don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, and I'm sure you've talked a ton about it in the past. What are some like high hitting points you like people to know? Um, I think the the one thing that happens on two levels. I think that most people pick the book up about reducing the amount of things they're giving focus to so they can kind of simplify their lives and be more effective. So on one hand, it's a productivity book. Right? Can I reduce the amount of play things and people that I am giving my energy to so that the ones that I do get my full focus and attention and really I can nail them? Mm. Right, It's simplification, um, addition by subtraction, however you want to say it. We just put it in a framework that we believe that people could live on a day-to-day -day basis and use in their companies. Uh, on the higher level, it's kind of that big question. You know, Why am I here? What is my one thing? And that's kind of this it's funny you can get productivity often first that's an easier thing to use the book for but the people who i think are our biggest proponents that give you know hundreds of the books away in their companies are the ones that used it to get more towards their purpose mm. and that's uh, the foundational idea is hopefully people figure that out because that's the ultimate compass for their lives mm. because i know i'm headed this direction and becoming this person for this reason it helps make everything kind of a straight line in terms of decisions. Mm. 
So when you you just said that you stepped back in as the CEO of Productive, talk a little yep. bit about what that journey was and what you're focused on right now. Well, I mean, gosh, the journey, it was painful. <laughs> <laughs> it's painful. Yeah. Um, you know, we founded it with a partner. Uh, Jeff Woods was an, an exceptional entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And when you part ways with a partner, and that was agreeable, we both agreed on the terms and, you know, he got his buyout and all those things, but we lasted about as long as the average marriage. So I'm not displeased at all. The company (laughs) would not be there, but he was the day-to-day founder and I was Mm -hmm. more the chairman of the board to his CEO. Mm -hmm. And my accountability as a business owner, and it's not the only one, and I teach people how to do this, Leslie, because I didn't have a bitch. (laughs) did not, because we were bootstrapping it. Yeah. Um, right. We didn't have a lot of high salaried executives on the team. Yeah, exactly. And I also didn't have a lot of people that I had been working and working with or working for serving or whatever capacity that would go on my quote bench. And I know that you know what I mean. It just means that if my star player gets hurt, mm-hmm. who do I put in the game? 100%. So Jeff exits stage left and I look to the bench and there's nobody there. Right. Um, We had one existing leader and he raised his hand and said, I want a shot. And I gave that leader, I think, a good look. It didn't work out and Mm. we parted ways and that's when I stepped in. Mm. And that's the ultimate, right? You get the job back. Right. 100%. You don't do that work and have enough talent so that if one person, and this is good reasons, right? Hey, this isn't working anymore. I want to do this other thing. It's not like you're fired for embezzlement, right? Right. It's not always (laughs) bad. But losing talent is losing talent. Yeah. And as a business owner, I should have known, and I did know, I just didn't imagine that I would be parting ways with Jeff Woods. Yeah. And so that's on me. Yeah. And I was unprepared. And I've I've written, you know, a mid-six-figure check for that mistake, but it's now turning around. That's great. That's great. So your yeah. primary focus back in as CEO is who's 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 next? Mm-hmm. What's the bench look like? Mm-hmm. Um, let's put it this way. I won't repeat that mistake again. Yeah. I think someone's going to have to absolutely, I'm not looking to hand the job off. Right. Right. So I think it's someone's going to have to step in and demonstrate that that is the absolute next step for them Mm -hmm. and the company. And I'm going to be happy to pass that. That wasn't my ambition to become CEO. That doesn't do anything for me. Mm -hmm. Right. But I also know in service of the company, the idea and the people who have given parts of their careers to it, the best thing right now is for me to stay there. And then I'm just trying to attract the right people to the right opportunities and simplify the business. Yeah. Right. It, it, any business over time kind of naturally is like a garden. Mm-hmm. If you're not really actively pruning the trees and weeding the garden, it can get a little sloppy. Yeah. yeah. And when I stepped back in, it may have all made perfect sense to my predecessors because they were there and kind of planting those things. I have to go in and now do some serious pruning and simplify. So it'll be a good thing all in all. Okay. So you're doing that and you're the vice president of strategic content for yeah. Keller Williams International Large <laughs> Real Estate Company. What does that look like? Yeah. Like how are you how are you managing all that, Jay? <laughs> It's not really on brand for someone who wrote the one thing. Yeah, get it. yeah. <laughs> tell me. Don't, don't, don't. I'm not even going to pretend otherwise. But it's also, I hope, for people that go up and go, ah, that, you know, that whole idea. It's, it's not a very complicated idea, but it's really hard to live. Mm-hmm. Well, may, hopefully, it makes people feel better. It's like, well, the author's struggling to live. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah. Um, I invented the term uh, vice president of strategic 
content around the time that I had to um, take over the marketing department in addition to the publishing team that I run, the research team, and a couple of other departments. We had some changeover from one CEO to the next. I've been here for 23 years, Leslie. So like Gary's like, you kind of know the drill. Step in and can you help me out here? Yeah. Um, And I got a promotion, but there wasn't any logical title. And that's kind of what I think I do. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. my number one strength finder is strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. I love that sort of puzzle. Like how, what's the best way to do this? How do we get an advantage? And it's all about content. Everything I do here is related to either the book content, course content, coaching content, or stage content. Mm -hmm. And the good news is, I don't think anybody on LinkedIn really knows how to prospect me. So I've, my spam email is on way down. That's I good. love it. Um, That's good. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, who, who's searching for a head of strategic content? Nobody. Mm. There's mm. head of strategy, there's mm. head of content, and I kind of married them in a way that confuses people. Yeah. So so what does your day look like? Like, how are you balancing, you know, this CEO of Productive? That's a that's a huge engine and that feeds a lot of people. And then you've got this really important critical role at Keller Williams International. Well, it started with permission. I, mm-hmm. I went to my boss at the time, the COO, and then also to my partner, Gary Keller, and said, if this business is going to continue, we have two choices. Mm-hmm. We go and we hire a placement firm and bring in a professional seasoned CEO Mm -hmm. that will have to be paid a lot and also learn the business, meaning it's a roll of the dice, right? We Mm -hmm. can get someone with wonderful pedigree and might discover that they're a poor match, or I can step in as a co-founder and reacquaint myself quickly and get us back on our feet. Mm -hmm. But that will mean that I have to split my time. right? And I would just like permission to do some of that during business hours. Mm. So we have a great administrative leader on the team. Um, We have continuity in our training team. Um, I've got an amazing personal coach, just like you you guys are in the coaching business. I pay for a coach every month. And I've got a great new uh, head of content and growth, uh, Nikki Miller, who's on the podcast. So I think we've got a great core team together. Um, It's about now defining the vision and redefining the business plan. Mm. I'm giving it probably less than two days a week. Yeah. So it's not going back seven years when it every day something new had to be built. We have people in the team that can go do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to be really clear which work is the right work and which work isn't. And are we building for the future? Mm-hmm. And if I'm honest, I don't know if you remember what it was like in COVID. You know, yeah. everybody had their business plan for the year and they just basically tore it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you're in the middle of a big pivot, Either the market did it to you or you did it to yourself. I kind of believe that you shorten the time frame. So during that time, all of our existing corporate clients, all of our existing corporate clients, we moved everybody to basically a quarterly business plan. Mm-hmm. We call it a GPS. Mm-hmm. And I mean, going into next year, my team was like, when are we going to do our GPS for the year? It's that, our system for the business plan. I was like, we're not really. We're going to do one for the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Given everything that's changed, I think it's ridiculous. We can cast a vision for the year. I think we can plan for the first quarter Mm. and we can have a very solid budget with really solid projections for the quarter. So I'm stepping in about two days a week. I'm trying to make sure that this short-term plan, which I believe will get us to our long-term plan is correct. And then following up to make sure the right leaders are carrying that forward. And so here's the truth. I mean, you know what it's like working as a senior executive here. It's not like you 
the clock hits 40 hours for the week and you just, (laughs) (laughs) I think that the company is still getting a full 40 hours from me Mm. almost every week. Right. Um, They're just not always getting it the same way. Right. Right. I do get to put a few meetings. Uh, The productive team is a completely virtual team. Mm. Uh, um, So I'm able to kind of put in core meetings. The sales team, the training team, the coaching team, our overall team huddle. I'm able to splice those in with a couple of four one ones and still kind of make the day the days work. Yeah. So this is really about how that all confusing. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. sense. I mean, it's just really what you're saying is you have the right people in place Mm -hmm. so that you can balance the most critical things for you to focus on and then the rest of the team um, exists on executing some of the day to day type stuff. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I didn't have the right people. I'd probably have to step down from my position in all honesty. Yeah. Yeah. But we have enough of the right people in place that I can leverage them. That's their opportunity. Who's Mm -hmm. stepping up, right? Mm -hmm. When there's Mm -hmm. great change in an organization, that's a time of great opportunity if people lean into it versus run away from it. hundred percent. That's what I want to dig in on is uh, those right people. How do you Mm -hmm. find them? (laughs) How have you found the right people for your team? Um, Let's talk about it. (laughs) <laughs> so and, and it, it happens one person at a time. Yeah. Right. Um, I wish you could come in and hire a whole sales force, but you can hire a great sales leader and teach them how to hire. Mm. And so when I stepped back in and started bringing people to the table, I first brought in a consultant mm-hmm. when I wasn't sure which way it was going to go, but I wanted to bring in someone to help the current leader. And it wasn't, I brought in someone I've known a long time that's run a very similar business to consult with us on how we got back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, when I felt like we needed to do more, again, I'm still trying to support the existing people. I hired Nikki originally just to be the podcast host. Mm-hmm. I just want, there's something about if you've got a team and you're not sure who's the A, the B's, and the C's are, yeah. go hire a proven A and just drop them in the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People will show you who you are really quickly, right? Um, so things accelerated after that. So I've just been focused on one person at a time. I'm currently looking for the person. Uh, the person who's currently leading our coaching is retiring. Um, and that's the absolute right one thing for them to be doing at this stage in their life. So my next opportunity is to bring in someone, another A player in that position. Mm-hmm. And each time you do that, you're just solidifying I believe the direct reports around me. Mm-hmm. I can't have, I mean, I've had as many as 44 people to report to me. That wasn't fun. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not tenable. It's not tenable. Right. I'll tell you that. But it was a short sprint, like where multiple departments showed up. And I didn't even have de- department heads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had to figure that out on the fly. Yeah. Um, so I've been there. Don't want that. Right now, I only have about five people reporting to me. And, um, if you look between the two businesses, eight, that's a couple more than I would ideally like, but it's still very manageable. I can really get into their core job description, mm-hmm. understand if they're doing it or not. Yeah. So uh, Libby, to answer your question, like, do we want to talk process? For me, it's just like, pick the position of greatest opportunity or need, and then go follow whatever process you have and do your best to nail it. Yeah. yeah. And I would rather overpay to bring in talent that's above the position because you're trying to kind of raise the whole ship. Mm -hmm. People will rise to the level of the expectations and you bring in a world-class player, everybody's expectations go up for themselves and the team. 
Yeah. Sounds like valuing the person over the position too. Always. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's like I went to a mastermind last week, um, a bunch of 30 of the most successful authors in the world that are doing similar games. And it was very real. Like I shared exactly what I've shared with you. I'm not trying to hide it. It doesn't serve. It may not serve my ego, but it doesn't serve me, the business or anybody that I teach. Right. Right. Because mm -hmm. um, it's humbling. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like getting hit in the face with a shovel. That's mm. like it comes at you out of the bloom. Boom. There you are. I'm on my feet. But all of them said they've gone through similar things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this process of pruning, like there's some saying out there, most businesses are a thinly designed a uh, thinly disguised disaster that just happens to be profitable. <laughs> I think there's what people talk about and then the reality that entrepreneurship is crazy. There's always something blowing up. There's always a fire somewhere. And you just, I mean, that's why the one thing's so powerful. You just have to prioritize what's the greatest need? What's the greatest opportunity? Where do I get my focus today? And knock them out. And if you're really dealing with the priorities, things kind of take care of themselves over time. Yeah. Mm. And uh, so, like, I, you know, I moved through the five stages of grief. That I was a bad founder. <laughs> I was a bad leader. Yeah. Like, all of the internal yeah. talk that you go through. And it's like, okay, if it's to be, it's up to me. Yeah. Um, now I've got to stop whining about it and go fix the problem. Yeah. And it's remarkable the moment you get your head on straight, how quickly the pieces start showing up. Like so right hire that, that that hire that um proven talent. And yeah. then that allows you room to kind of hire some of the emerging and everyone kind of rises to where the the proven talent is. I don't even think it has to be proven. I just happen to be I think you hire talent. Mm -hmm. And I know that like the language you're using Libby is the language that we help develop here. Yeah. There's a you know there's talent, emerging talent, proven talent, like there's categories of it. Talent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, Everybody knows it's talent. Yeah. Like, wow, we've got a great new team member. They start show up. They're eager to prove their talent. They start doing the stuff that maybe hasn't been done. And everybody just kind of walks a little bit faster. Mm. Right. And it, it's amazing how just the influx of one really talented player proven or just emerging, they'll start to show their stuff and they'll, they'll raise the game of the people around them. Yeah. And uh, frankly, that's why some, like we had two people resign. And I think it was because they realized that there was no more sleepwalking allowed. Mm, good point. So, okay. So five things that make somebody talented in your, from your perspective. Five things. Three. One. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love five. Yeah. Yeah. five, four, three, whatever. Name a couple um, that you think yeah. is really important. No, no, I think that um, they're, uh, their aspirations match the potential for the position. Mm. They are internally motivated, intrinsically motivated to do the job. Two. So aspirations, intrinsic motivation. Um, we talk about this. I don't know if you talk about it in your coaching. I imagine you do. That their natural behavior um, is more of a tailwind than something that they're having to paddle upstream, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, they're in a position that requires a lot of people skills. Um, they're not terrified of people. Right. Like they're not a they're not a misanthrope. Right. I know introverts that do well in that. That like people don't need a lot of them. Right. But like, it's nice to at least be somewhere in the middle on that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so aspirations, motivation, behavior. Um, I think skill shows up, but it doesn't have to be proven. Mm -hmm. um, that's where the word talent gets tricky. 
Um, nobody is naturally talented at anything. I don't believe in that myth. I think some people have a, a set of natural talents that might make them good at something. Mm-hmm. And it's because we like it and we apply ourselves that that shows up in the world. Yeah, Because we all know people with tons of wasted talent. <laughs> Right. right. Like, oh, I know people that like I, I send emails to and I have since high school. And it's like if this person ever became a novelist, if they had the discipline to do the work of writing, mm. they could be the great American novelist. They're just brilliant. Right. They're insightful, mm. but they're not motivated. They don't have those first things. Yeah. So I think skills and the last one's experience. Mm. Right? And that's where the proven. So I guess I did come up with five. Yeah, there you go. Good. good job, Jay. Um, <laughs> They're an aspirational match, and I think that's the start. Yeah, mm-hmm. where they want to go and where the position could lead don't match. They're going to leave you sooner or later. Yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. I can't work with people that aren't motivated mm-hmm. on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that's easy to do. People will work for a paycheck, but if you want them to go farther, I think that they have to have something inside them. Yeah. Um, Behavior, skills, experience, those kind of hopefully are self-evident. Yeah. I guess the last thing, and this is more of less of a talent standard, it's just a s- standard of my own. They've got to be accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to own their DNA and the situations that they create, Yeah, mm-hmm. um, especially in a small business, because it's really hard to work with people that aren't accountable for their- 100%. What they create. It just- it's a disaster waiting to happen, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things, Jay, I know how much you value talent and the people around you. And um, one of the things that I know you do is are really purposeful about connection and connecting with people and having ongoing conversations. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what you do there and, and what that's yielded for you just in your multiple businesses? So uh, when the one thing came out, my world started to blow up a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? I started getting invitations to speak. I got invitations to be on podcasts like this, that sort of thing. My coach at the time was Glenn Neely. Mm -hmm. And um, I got an invitation to be a part of a private equity company, to be a partner in it, Mm. founding partner. Wow. Um, You look up and they're just like, I was asked to start a separate company to run a speaking business out of. We had our training company. I had all these things that are lining up. Mm. And my coach and I were asking, like, how do I align these opportunities so that I'm not a hypocrite when it comes to the book? (laughs) And the truth was, like, what are the activities that you've really made core activities that serve all of them? Mm. And one of them is to be a writer and a content creator, right? That's the number one reason people want me sitting in any of these rooms. (laughs) Is I've got a track record of being a great collaborator, of uh, being someone who can model things and 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 communicate really clearly, yeah, written or exactly, otherwise. yeah. Um, but then the other thing, uh, there are other things I can do because I'm an author now, a best-selling author. Um, I decided it was going to be about people. Um, I knew that I could pick up the phone or cold email just about anyone. Make sure that they're aware that I'm a best-selling author in an industry related to them. Um, and they almost always are going to say yes to a meeting sometime sooner or later. Mm. So the ability for me to prospect um, with talent is made easier by the 12 or 13 years I've invested before becoming a writer. Mm-hmm. And so we agreed it was going to be networking. Um, originally, I mean, I was going around trying to look at conferences. 
Livy's smiling. Um, she probably knows me well enough to know that, like, I am miserable at conference. Kathleen, <laughs> uh, you don't know this, no. but like, if every behavioral test I've ever taken, the behavior that I'm most committed to is being an introvert. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're True. doing great. <laughs> this is different. Yeah. yeah. Different, right. I mean, um, we're just having a conversation. Yeah. Um, but and it's also experience and building skills over time. This is something that authors have to learn to do well. Mm-hmm. I'm very intrinsically committed to being a successful author. All that to say, I remember looking at these finance places and investment. I was trying to find the perfect conferences that I could go to like once a quarter meet people and add them to my network. Mm -hmm. And every time I thought about it, I just got heartburn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I got an invitation to coffee. Um, It was a Keller Williams real estate agent that lived in Lake Travis. And she had a blog called Coffee with a Stranger. Mm. And she did it for Legion for her real estate business. And because she was kind of a blogging nerd, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. And she just said... uh, Every week for this many years or something, she had made a commitment to meet one stranger for coffee. That was her only rule. And then interview them. And then she would write about that experience on her blog. And over time, like I, I think she had interviewed my publisher, Ray Bard, who mm-hmm. happened to be one of her neighbors. <laughs> and he said, well, you should interview one of our authors, Jay Papasan, right? Mm-hmm. And so this, that was so pleasant. There was no agenda. She goes, I just do this thing. Right. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to send you a referral. My wife's a real estate agent. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. right. I'm committed to the activity. Mm-hmm. I remember telling my coach, it's like, I, I'm getting hives thinking about getting on planes and going and walking into rooms with thousands of strangers. The idea of meeting one stranger never bothers mm-hmm. me. So what if we built our plan around that? And so, gosh, it would have been sometime in 2013, we set the goal. And my wife laughed at me, but that I could meet a stranger that I could, by some objective measure, say was talent, that they were really good at something um, every single week and add them, earn the right to add them to my database. Mm -hmm. And it was 50 weeks of the year. I even gave myself two weeks off. (laughs) Very generous. (laughs) I looked at my calendar um, and decided that Wednesday mornings, I had the most flexibility. I could leave early because of the kids' school. My wife was dropping them off. And, you know, eight to nine o'clock coffee, I could still get to my earliest meetings on that day tended to be fine. So still to this day, it tends to be Wednesday mornings. And I got on LinkedIn with my assistant. And I just said, anybody that's got a VP title or a founder, right, by nature, I unless they're self-employed and they're the only person in the business, right? Chances are they're probably going to meet it. So look through my connections and show me the list. And then I'm going to pick the ones I want you to write an email to. Mm. And so all warmish outreach, these are just LinkedIn connections. She reached out to all of them, said, you know, looking at your resume or I hear around town. Oh, they had to be in Austin as well. Um, I was wondering if you'd like to get together and meet in person and get to know each other. Mm. And a lot of them said yes. And so the first year I did 50, um, I had to sometimes double up during the week because the way scheduling worked out. But as soon as I got to 50, I quit. <laughs> My wife made fun of me. She's a real estate agent. She's like an extrovert. She's like, your goal was one person a week. Like she would be like, <laughs> right? 
And I was like, that's me, but I have a high standard for who that's, who that's going to be. Yeah. Um, the next year I ended up not meeting with 50, but it was 79. Wow. And the next year was over 120 something. And I kind of ran out of space. Mm. But what happened was when you show up with no agenda, um, I always want to bring value like, oh, you should read this book or I should introduce you to this person. Over time, I had more and more people to introduce people to. Mm. And I was able to make connections. Yeah. And the idea that there's this thing like this podcast, I'm sure when you invite people, we have a podcast, a lot of people will say yes, because you've got a platform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The podcast is a platform you're inviting someone into. However big your audience is, that's what they're doing. And the sun is coming in right on my face. <laughs> Sorry, to, Jay. No, it's a natural like, glow. Yeah. I'm just going to be a little off-center. There you um, go. Okay. But they, uh, the platform, just people will say yes. It actually ended up being very powerful. Pretty early on, I figured out a few people were just doing business development. They were there to sell me. Mm. And I was like, win some, you lose some. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, um, that gosh, I, I can't look it up because I've got everything shut down for this. But I mean, I've averaged over 70 a year for 10 years. That's um, amazing. Yeah. I mean, about three years ago, three years into it, my coach, it was towards the end. He goes, so no, it was two years into it. He goes, this is awesome. You've really, you're clearly committed to it. I don't need to hold you accountable. It's just kind of taken a life of its own. Your mm. book weeks out. Mm. What are you doing to stay in touch with them? Mm. You know how, um, your future success is in the things that you're avoiding. Yeah. <laughs> I raised my hand. Yeah. So I had to come up with a plan um, for that. And again, I just tried to commit to something that I knew I could at least enjoy. Right. The idea, I know that the best practice would be to call people four times a year. That's all of our research in real estate says that's a, an amazingly powerful way to stay connected with people. Um, man, I, Thank God for COVID, because now I talk to my mom every week. We have a family call. But like, I just don't think to call people, even when I love them. Yeah. Right, right. So I was like, that's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, too much behavior change. Like, it yeah. could work, but it's unlikely. Mm -hmm. So I started writing a monthly newsletter. And uh, that first one, I just identified everyone I had breakfast with. And I just said, look, I'm going to, I'm, I'm trying to do a better job of staying in touch. We met for coffee. Um, I hope that we've become friends since, but I wanted to invite you to what I'm up to, which is what I call it. And I'm just going to share what me and my family are up to, what books I'm reading, what shows we're watching at the end of every month. And um, I also made a rule. It was a really smart one that I would never look to see who unsubscribed. Oh my God. That's a yeah. hard one. Yeah. Oh. That's, I like Same it. Jay. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, I, so I track that. And so like I, when I meet people now, I just like, hey, um, I do this thing. It's kind of a private personal newsletter. Um, no obligation. Can I add you to it? If you don't like it, just unsubscribe. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the last thing I say each month is, um, please reply back and tell me what you're up to. Hmm. A lot of people lurk. You know, I send it out the first Friday of the month, about the the month before, and I usually get about forty five or so responses at this point, mm. where people just kind of do a dump, haven't replied back in a long time. This is what's up with me, and it's kept the kept the energy going. 
Um, Kathleen, I felt like you were trying to oh, jump yeah, in. No. I wanted to give you the finish line. No, That's I'm so of, glad you did. Practice. That's the practice. Yeah. No, I love it. And especially when trying to stay connected through multiple media as well, right? Like it's so easy when it's face to face, but how do you keep them engaged in the long run? Yeah. And there's so much you're saying that I think is incredibly inspiring. And I think one of the things that's resonating is that you're doing something like doing that outreach coming from an introverted perspective, what are some of the things you're wanting to challenge yourself with now in an area where you maybe feel a little bit of weakness? Well, how about being, being a CEO? <laughs> um, it's nothing I've ever aspired to, honestly. Um, I've never, I've always felt like I could do it, but, but the fact that I'm not terribly people oriented, um, doesn't make me a likely candidate for a lot of people. Mm. Doesn't mean it's not qualified. I know some really successful people high on the introversion scale, but um, one of the number one jobs uh, being a CEO, I believe, I think you cast a vision, I think you drive growth, and I think you have to attract talent. Exactly. And if you had to give me like the core job description of a founder or CEO, that's it. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, rallying the troops, being a cheerleader, probably not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But I've fallen in love with the, the talent game. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of trying to, I don't think about it acquiring, recruiting talent. That feels like a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. I love it as a puzzle, mm. as I get to know someone during the process, if they agree, like, hey, let's go through this process. Of that first step of just where they want to go their ultimate dreams. And when you get someone to talk about that stuff, like I know Libby, I know Leslie, y'all done it. Like people get teary eyed. No one asks mm -hmm. people this stuff. And I see it as like a test of integrity. Like, can I help them get there? Will they get there faster with me? Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. That's a puzzle to solve. Well, I think too. I found a way to get in excited about the activity. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you you love the talent aspect of it because you're doing it in a way that is um natural to you and you're doing it in an authentic way. So you realizing I don't want to go to a conference and, <laughs> you know, be in a an exhibit room and handshaking people and doing all of that. Passing out business cards. Yes. <laughs> but you've realized, but I can do it this way in a very authentic way. And I will say that the person on the other end of that feels that. So I think that is one of the the biggest challenges that anyone, you know, looking for talent, hiring talent, is that the inauthenticity is so detectable. So when someone is not interested in who you are, or you can tell they're just taking the meeting to gain something. Um, yeah. And so I think that, you know, that's why... Um, you know, people enjoy meeting with you, and that is why the talent game, um, you know, works works well for you because you're able to meet people authentically and learn about them and have these conversations that are more than just, you know, what can I do for you? What can you do for me? It's, you know, it, it ebbs and flows more than that. And so I think that that is why, um, you know, that that has worked so well. And that's something that you have figured out that has really helped with that. Thank you for saying that. I hope that's to be true. That's where I'm trying to come from. Yeah. I don't think that there's a Jedi trick out there where you convince <laughs> someone to work with you and they actually stay yeah. because right. you persuaded them. Right. Sure. I think they stay because their goals are happening mm-hmm. and uh, on their personal and professional side. Well, and and there, so, 
Yeah, there are two things that 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 you've said, Jay, that are kind of clear here. One of them is you really understand who you are, what your natural strengths are, and where there may be some gaps. And uh, being strategic about how you fulfill those gaps or fill those gaps, rather, is you know essentially what you're doing is problem solving to that. And then the other thing is is recognizing the critical importance of having the right people on the team and being extremely purposeful about that being the center so much of the center of what you do and how you how you engage. Lovely. I mean, I think that I see people, I coach people like you do that are struggling mm. to succeed through others. And I had a friend share like a great salesperson, a great one, not a good one, mm. will sell at about 60% of a founder. Like there's natural tears, right? Like to mm-hmm. use what you're thinking about. There's like tears in running backs in fantasy football, 100%. right? Right. You I went to her love language. Yeah. Love you, language. Went, yeah. you went straight to her love language. <laughs> so true. It's so true. Um, you're absolutely right. So, uh, oh gosh, I forgot where I was going because I got the opportunity to teach you <laughs> talk <something>. about <laughs> fantasy football. <laughs> yes, you were just talking about you know the the tears of talent and uh, and an owner is going to do about sixty percent or a good uh, salesperson sixty percent. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what holds people back is they've gotten where they are by being really good at what they do. Mm. And they have an unreasonable expectation that someone's going to step in and do it as well or better in any reasonable amount of time. Mm. Uh, My friend Rory Baden wrote in one of his books, The 30 Times Rule, for you to teach someone to do what you do in an hour at some approximation of how well you do it takes about 30 hours of investment. Right. And um, there's no science behind it, but it kind of rings true. And he goes, that's why every week you're faced with the one hour task. I've got to write my blog this week. Mm. And you don't hand it off because you know, over a series of weeks, you'd have to invest 30 to get that hour back every week. Mm-hmm. But that math doesn't work out even in one year. Yeah. Right. The very first year that you avoid doing that, you've wasted 22 hours. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. But it's the short-term investment that has the long-term payoff. Mm-hmm. And um, I've just made peace with that. Yeah. I've made peace with it. And I, because I'm addicted to succeeding through others at this mm-hmm. point. Because what I know is it allows me then to live in this other place where I can contribute at a higher level. 100%. Um, I also feel like my that- number one value is impact. And if I'm doing my EA's job, for her, <laughs> I am reducing my impact <laughs> measurably. Yeah, absolutely. And we're talking about talent and attracting talent, that that's got to be something that people feel and makes them all the more wanting to work with you because, you know, we want to grow and we have to be given the space to grow. Um, just like you got to go and you got to prune through because there's a lot of dead stuff in there. But once you've pruned, you've got the space to grow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes leaders forget that they actually have to lead. You know, you you, you go hire somebody, you bring them in, and you're like, why aren't you doing the job? Doing it great. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, well, the, it's it's our responsibility to give them the tools and the education and the feedback and the growth opportunity and the training and the mentors and the coaches and all the things that they need to essentially get to that point. And, mm-hmm. and I think so much frustration comes into leaders because we just – 
we just expect, you know, right we, oh, I hired you. I gave you the salary. I'm giving you Here's this the job like, chunk of my P&L. Yeah, get get to it. And there's probably some of it where talent's going to come in and say, I've got some ideas. But the flip side of it is like we actually have to take a stance for, you know, nurturing and growing humans yeah. mm-hmm. in yeah. the garden that you've been talking about throughout this podcast, yeah. right? Go, going back, yeah, pruning the garden. It's the garden Libby's theme. language, we, she differentiated between emerging and proven talent. Right. Mm-hmm. I think if you're paying for proven talent and they cost a lot more mm-hmm. than every other kind, right? They've got a track record of success. Yeah, you should expect them to drop in and have an impact a lot faster. Right. You're paying for that. 100%. Yeah. They are selling themselves. Uh, you still have to give them guidance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They don't know the company. They don't know the culture. They don't know all the resources. Mm -hmm. So there is a certain amount that you still have to do. But the farther downstream you go from that proven talent, just like a young, talented person, you have to pour into them for them to grow. And it it just, it's kind of part of the job. And I like the way Gary's kind of taught us to think about it, right? Um, It may not have been all of his language, but you go from I to we to they. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the journey. Right. And I just like, I I was sitting down with someone. I was trying to kind of persuade them to join the team. We were at that stage in the relationship. And it's like, hey, I'm, I'm you know, I've started my own business and I'm making 450000 a year now. Why should I join your team? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's all job, job income, right? Right. That's not business income. And he's like, Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, that means you've got a job. You've got a very high paying job, but you right. don't actually have a business. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't show up, people won't write those checks. Right. And I think that we're trying to build a business. I want to own a business. Mm-hmm. I have a job in the business, but I don't want it to be all of my income from the, from the business to be wholly dependent on my jobs in it. So it's just a very different attitude. When you want to succeed through talent, you're on the journey to be a business owner. Mm-hmm. And entrepreneurship, you can also be an independent contractor. Right. I'm going to be a solopreneur. And that's going to be in maximizing my effectiveness. And some of them will have admin at VAs. Not the same thing. Right. Um, that's, I think, when you really make the commitment to business owner, at some point, the business will succeed without you if you do your job well enough. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, Jay, I want to pivot just really quickly. So yeah. you're doing all of this. You've got business, you've got this high-level executive position, and you have a w- amazing wife who is an entrepreneur herself who's <laughs> building amazing business. She is also a philanthropist. You have two children, one of whom is at college, right? One is still at home. Am I correct still? That's right. Got okay. a senior and a, a, a senior, senior in high my school gosh. and a freshman in college. Oh. A senior in high school and a freshman in college. How does Jay make sure that he is keeping space for the relationships in his family on top of all of the other things that you're doing? Well, here's the secret. <laughs> oh. By the time they're seniors, <laughs> yeah. they don't, don't really want to be What are you going to say? Oh, <laughs> you missed it. Like the uh, Gus that went to college, you know, he kind of a, a, got amazingly lucky. He's just one of those sweet kids. He mm-hmm. got up early. He'd bound down the stairs, make his own breakfast, yeah. um, kiss us both on the lips. <laughs> like he's just real thoughtful, caring individual. Our other one's more of a, he's kind of a coder, artist, moody, ah. very teenagery at this moment. I love it. Yes. I love it. Uh, <laughs> and 
it's very common for me to go up to say good night and hug him good night and say good night. All right. And then it's almost like a door slam. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you have to make space for it. Yeah. You can't, and, and you have to be intentional about it. Um, we have dinner as a family um, all but one night of the week, unless there's something like serious going on, like we are traveling or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we try to sit down at the table. We always let Friday nights be the exception so we could watch a movie in front of the TV. Yeah. But we've always made space for the whole family to be present. Mm. Right now, Gus is coming home on Fridays. Oh. So we literally have the whole table around, you know, whole family around the table Friday night, Saturday night, and sometimes Sunday night because he loves to get the free food before he goes back. <laughs> yeah. <home>. Smart kid. <laughs> um, and that that's funny. They don't, they've never questioned it. Mm. We've been doing that since they were little kids. Yeah. We made it a ritual. We made it an expectation. We say a form of grace. We just say what we're grateful for mm-hmm. right when we sit down. Yeah. And so uh, we've got rituals that help us. My wife and I work out in the mornings with a trainer. So for three hours a week in the morning, we are doing hard things together. Mm-hmm. So we've designed some of the the rituals and habits of our lives to bring us together mm-hmm. and to make sure that connection happens. And I know somebody's thinking like, what about spontaneity? Right. What about romance and all of that? Like, yeah, there's that, but it connection's too important to leave to chance. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm. So I'm totally fine uh, time blocking it. Yeah. I'm totally fine, like literally going to my calendar and saying, how many date nights do we have this month? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, Wendy and I have been doing date nights now for over 14 years on Wednesday mm-hmm. nights. Mm-hmm. I think it's 15 years because our oldest was two and a half. Wow. Anyway, the, we had two 16 uh, months apart, Kathleen. Oh, my gosh. And Ooh. our second was colicky. Oh, no. So we went from having a life to having none at all. Yeah. <laughs> and being sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're tired all the time, two in diapers, and you're sleep deprived, um, well, there is no romance. I was like, it's so romantic, right. isn't it? It's like <laughs> you're thriving. <laughs> no. Uh, the story I tell is I can remember one night when our youngest was crying. And the definition of colicky is that they cry five and a half hours a day on average. Oh yeah. Um, we fell just short of that. Mm-hmm. But it's just horrible, right? right. You, you can't do anything to comfort them. Um, and we're up in the middle of the night and we're, we can't yell at the baby. So yeah. we're kind of yeah. biting at each other. Mm-hmm. I remember li- setting up shots of tequila at 3 a.m. on a weeknight and just be like, friends, enemies. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. We got to remember, we're on this team together. Yeah. I love it. Um, and I was telling that story to one of my mentors, and he said, you know, well, we used to have a guy's night where me and the boys would go out for a movie, and that was mom's night off. Mm. So like, why don't y'all just build a ritual? Yeah. And so we started a date night ritual. And we tried it on Saturday nights and Friday nights, and we never could get a babysitter. Oh, we have no family in town. <laughs> so we had no help either. Right. That's a part of it. We didn't have a grandparent to hang out. So either we had to pay for a babysitter or it was our job. But we moved it to Wednesday nights, and it was amazing. There was always a babysitter in the neighborhood. Yeah, they just come over, put the kid to bed. It was always easier for them, and they do homework, and we pay them to do homework yeah, while nice. we watch movies. Yep. Now, not as cool as going out on a Friday or Saturday, but we did it consistently. Mm-hmm. I bet reservations were probably yeah, open a lot. Go anywhere. Go anywhere. Movies come out on Thursdays. So, 
So every movie that we wanted to see was already six days old. There yeah. you go. That's perfect. <laughs> Plenty of um, seats. Perfect. There's no restaurants that are really booked up on a Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah. you're right. So yeah. yeah. It makes some things easier. <laughs> and, you know, like when you have two kids, you don't want to stay out till midnight anymore. Oh, no. So it didn't really yeah. hurt that much that it was on a Wednesday. Yeah. So we've, Wendy estimates that we've had over 750 dates since we started that. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. amazing. And uh, not when they get older, we can also like, we're talking about just going and meeting at Relaxed Day Spa. If you don't know where that is, it's yeah. the cheapest, most valuable, value-driven massage you can get in town. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's I was like, like taking massage. notes. <laughs> well, it's a it's a 60-minute foot massage. Okay, it's one of those acupuncture pressure places. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's forty dollars. Oh, it's amazing. That's amazing. Well, and and I think that's what, our date, our unofficial date. Yeah, date. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, what I mean, I think you know, throughout the entire conversation that we've had here, is that everything is on purpose. There's nothing. Everything that you're doing, from making a decision about the business to who you get into relationship with to how you value the the relationships that are in your life. Everything is on purpose. Mm -hmm. You have to be purposeful about what you're going to do, how you're going to incorporate that into your schedule and following through with it on what are the results of that or how, how have we, how have we, you know, benefited from it? Just to be really clear, if it wasn't clear at the beginning, I screwed around and screwed up for at least like, I was going to say, (laughs) so like, I do think that at the end, I always try and attempt to be purposeful about the that the very few things that matter a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my key relationships, my health. Um, like as much as I want the business to survive, it's not about the money. Right. I think more about the impact it has. Hundred percent. You know, we have a goal setting retreat that we have as a part of that, and I mean, literally hundreds of couples have written saying that that small investment of time has saved their marriage. Mm-hmm. It's like that to me. Like, I don't want that thing to go away. Yeah. So I'm willing to be purposeful, even when it's unnatural for me to be so, if it makes the big stuff happen. Yeah. So I just don't want people thinking we're robotic. Yeah. I mean, no. we're not. No. But, yeah, on but purpose. at a certain point, it does, like, it's kind of automatic. Like, my staff on a Wednesday, if it's like 530, they're like, isn't it date night? <laughs> right. Like, at a certain go. point, you train yourself and you train the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Jay, um, how can people learn more about Productive? The one thing, where can they go? Where can they learn about you? Um, Well, I've got, if I wanted to hide, I have the worst name on earth. I think there's only one Jay Papazan. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So I cannot hide. And where they find me, I am. I, I have my assistant helps me on LinkedIn, but otherwise it's me. So be patient if you find me on social but uh, all things productive are at the one thing.com with the number one. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jay. We appreciate you so much for sharing, being vulnerable, talking through all this stuff with us. Yeah, we got right into it. Didn't we, we did. Right in the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming as you are. And uh, and thank you all for joining us today. Um, again, if you please subscribe on all channels. And if you have any other questions about ENSO coaching and consulting, you can visit us at ensocc.com. We'll see you again soon.